0: Questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc.
1: Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Well, good evening, North
2: Carolina, and thanks for joining us once again on Money Matters with the Lewis family.
3: This is Linda Lewis.
1: And this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial
3: Planner. And this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
1: Hi, Bill. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
4: Yes, hello. I'm uh, interested in uh, asking about when I can retire, if I can retire early.
1: Good. Tell me a little bit about yourself. We'll see if I can tell you the answer. How old are you? 45. 45 years old. Married or single? Married. Married. Any children? One child. Living at home? Yes. Okay. One child at home. What's your income, Bill?
4: Uh, It's high. It's 1.5. One and a half million? Yes, sir per year yes
1: and how long is that due to last
4: Uh, as long as i continue
1: to work all right how long all right we've got your income obviously your expenses aren't a million and a half so technically uh you're you're not having a problem covering your living expenses i presume no not at all okay let's go to your assets what does your investment portfolio look like
4: um, I have uh, fairly extensive. I have a uh, IRA that's actually fairly fairly small, with about three hundred and fifty. That's a SEP IRA.
1: You got hang on one second. You got a SEP at three hundred and fifty thousand. Got you.
4: I have a uh, mutual fund portfolio. Okay. Of one point five in, in, in index funds.
1: Boy, I wonder why you did. That. You must have been hurt really bad. Did you have that in, in two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two?
4: Uh, I've had a build... Uh, I, I put it there and forget about it.
1: So you must have lost about half a bit at that time. I
4: didn't... No, I, I, it, it was fine. I started putting in all the way through... It did not bother me.
1: Well, I don't know how you could have been in the index funds through those three years and not having lost half of them unless... Well,
4: I probably lost some, but I started putting in... I didn't make that kind of income until the last uh, four years or so.
1: Okay. All right, so you've got a million and a half in mutual funds, in, in index funds. What else yeah. do you
4: have? Uh, about uh, 100 in stock funds.
1: 100,000 in, in, uh, in
4: stocks or in stock sto- funds? Uh, in, in individual stocks. In stocks, funds. okay. Uh, yes, yeah, 100 in stocks. My wife has her own portfolio of about 125 in mutual funds. All right. I have 170 in the 529 plan for my son. What's that in? Most of it's in a, uh, in index funds as well, in a total stock market and a uh, 500 index fund. All right. Is that
1: a North Carolina 529 or is it at another state?
4: Uh, out of state. One Virginia, one Iowa. All right. I have two commercial properties mm-hmm. that uh, are worth uh, 1.5, of which I owe 1.2, and those cover their costs per year with okay. rental.
1: Yeah, 1.2 million of uh, mortgage debt on that?
4: Correct. Okay. And then uh, several other properties uh, combined worth of uh, six hundred, of which I owe four hundred, plus my personal residence, which is worth about seven fifty, and I owe about three fifty. All
1: right. So you're carrying about two million dollars of debt. First of all, I notice. Yeah. And, and your question is, when can you retire? The question was going to ultimately turn upon financial independence, which is based upon your living expense needs. Do you have an idea what it costs to support you at your desired lifestyle?
4: Sure. Only the my living expenses themselves are not that high; probably in the two hundred range. It's just the, the carrying cost of the investment Right. Property. Right. Yeah. No. I want.
1: I want to. You're right. I want to separate those. So you think about two hundred thousand would support your desired lifestyle? Yeah. All right. The first thing is. You're gonna need about four million three hundred thousand of total investment portfolio to be able to support the kind of lifestyle that you're living and also pay the taxes on it. Got it. However, that also assumes that you have uh that you've gotten rid of the commercial property. The commercial property sounds to me, I mean personally, I would say that's a real losing deal. To carry one point two million dollars of debt and have only a few hundred thousand of equity, and to know that you know you could be leaving your wife a big mess i mean i don 't know many wives would be happy to inherit two million dollars of debt uh, i i 've dealt with a number of widows with mortgages in the last twenty five years and so that well, seems
4: it 's a, a great a commercial property that that has a fifteen year lease and uh the purpose was to, uh, you know, turn it over to a 1031 exchange uh,
1: in due course. Yeah, well, if you're asking me my opinion, that's a bad strategy and it's it's something you should get rid of huh. because it's not going to help you achieve your goals of being able to, uh, at least if you're interested in retiring now and becoming financially independent mm-hmm. now, you want to move in the opposite direction. 1031 is simply delaying the pain. It doesn't yep. do anything for you and there are a number of complications That are there, uh, the capital gain tax and so forth. You'd have to deal with it. But bottom line is, how to achieve four point three million? Your mutual funds are a million and a half, and your Sep IRA three fifty that puts you up at a million eight five. You add the um, the hundred and twenty five of other mutual funds and the hundred thousand two twenty five, so you're at about two and a half million. So. So what you want to do is you want to go ahead and aggressively start what we call a pay yourself first plan to see how rapidly you could get yourself to that point. In other words, if indeed your expenses are only two hundred thousand and if indeed the commercial property is paying its own debt carrying cost, then you should be able to put aside a very strong amount on a monthly basis, yeah. If you do that, working with a spreadsheet and working with a software program with the uh, that you know that a, a decent financial planning firm should have, we, we we've got a pretty high highly sophisticated one in our firm. But working that way, you ought to be able to come up with well, how long would it take me to accumulate four point three million? Now, starting with about two and a half million. You have to have some assumption of what you're gonna of what your money's gonna grow at. Mm-hmm. I would get rid of all your index funds because that, that you're doing nothing but waiting for the next disaster. Index funds are simply riding the market, and that's not why you should be in mutual funds. You should always be in mutual funds because of managers, because of men and women who give you some logic of what why you want to give them money to just sock your money away into a uh, you know. Into a fund that's going to ride the market. I've had more people come to me who show me that you know they lost half of their retirement account by riding through with index funds. So we don't want to we don't want to be that way. We want to be we want to have a, a philosophy of asset management that is proactive, not reactive.
2: Our number in Raleigh is eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand.
1: But right now, I think that you're what's what's basically missing in everything you've got is that you don't have any asset, allocation. Have an asset allocation yeah there is no right asset yeah <laughs> I mean it's just uh, it's all hit and miss
2: and uh, I mean you've done a great job of accumulating but
1: if the if your goal is to retire how are we going to get there sooner than later right well you want to protect yourself on the downside on the loss side not to go ahead and just uh, think of the upside or think of the accumulation side right And so there needs to be an overall asset allocation model superimposed upon what you have and what you will be putting in. Now, the other part of the equation is your SEP at your age is going to also require a strategy to help support you. That can be done. The IRS does allow you an exception, even though you'd be under 59 and a half. There is a way that we have clients get by that using Section 72T. But again, everything is based upon how it's all allocated, according to some model that you're comfortable with, or that we're comfortable with, is going to go ahead and do what you, what we, what we think it's going to do, and then move along in that in that direction. The other thing I don't like is I don't know why you've got a hundred thousand dollars in individual stocks. I wouldn't have you in any individual stocks.
4: I'm not a I'm not a professional stock picker, so uh, so that how did you pick are, them? Uh, these are. Companies that I've become familiar with that uh, I wanted to wanted to invest in.
1: Uh-huh. Well, generally, we tell people don't don't that's do why that. There's,
4: that's why there's so little there because I really do not feel comfortable doing.
1: That. Yeah, uh, almost always we advise people never invest in uh, individual stocks and never invest in companies that you think you know a lot about. All the Krispy Kreme employees really learned that lesson not long ago. I've had more IBMers in the last twenty years who have groaned as they've learned that lesson than you can imagine, mm-hmm. uh, because no one ever knows, and if they do know, the market's already priced it. There's nothing that you would know that others aren't that you know that that the professional mutual fund managers aren't knowing.
2: Sometimes it's cool to own stocks, but it's a risky yeah. posture as you go
4: yeah. forward. But where right? else would you diversify here? I, I mean, do you, you just think the index funds are too low risk? I mean, too
1: less no, 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 too high risk, not too low risk. In other words, when everybody lost 50% of their retirement funds between 2000 and 2000 and, and uh, early 2003, our clients actually made money. And it's because we chose managers. Their goal was to exceed the market. The index is what they go against. So if the index goes down... Then that's a guarantee that you've gone down. And if the index goes down thirty percent, that's a guarantee that you're going to lose thirty <laughs> percent. So, so I Doug, wouldn't do. Are you t-
2: saying to to go into a stock mutual funds versus stock individual stocks?
1: No, no. There are three different things we're talking about at the same time. You can right. buy an individual stock, or you can buy into a mutual fund, which is a basket of maybe a hundred stocks. Right. Or you can buy into a basket of mutual, a basket of stocks, a mutual fund that has a manager. Right. And, and there's a major difference. And one, both of the mutual funds will give you diversification, which is safer than the individual stock. Because the only reason you ever buy a stock is because you're waiting to sell it. You never buy a stock because it's, it has no value on its own. It's, it's a worthless piece of paper it has no it has no value according to the IRS if you lose it you tear it up or anything as opposed to a bond or something which is a debt security so on the other hand if you have a mutual fund you don't really own well, I mean te- legally you own a fund but what you really are doing is you're putting money in the hands of a of a manager of a trader who's making the decisions for you of when to buy or when to sell mm-hmm. so yes I do think diversification is the crucial issue the question then comes to how many different mutual funds, and there are other investment types that I like, by the way. I think you should have REITs in your portfolio. They should be real estate investments in a portfolio.
4: I have millions of dollars in real estate portfolio. In REITs? Well, not in REITs, but in real estate. That's that again, segment of my portfolio. Well,
1: again, that's the same, that's exactly the same problem. There it is again. Anytime you own anything individually, you're the guru. And that means you think you're smarter than the other guy, and at least in my case, I'm convinced I'm not smarter than the other guy. I'm convinced that if I try to be the winner, whether it's in Las Vegas, whether it's buying a piece of real estate, or whether it's buying a stock, there's somebody out there who's smarter than I, and I'm waiting for an accident to happen. And I've seen it happen to so many hundreds and hundreds of clients through the years that I'm pretty... Convinced that's what happens, but the REITs are very different. If you yeah. go into a mutual fund where there are managers that are trading commercial REITs, buying and selling and holding them for, the, then you're not you're not the owner of the of the of the building. You're not carrying the debt. You don't have any any, any debt liability. Do you see the difference? Yes, of course. Yes. So I don't I don't know if that helps you or not, but that's at least. The the way that I would answer the question when can I retire, as soon as you have accumulated four point three million, and as soon as we're comfortable that it's positioned properly, then that's you know that's the way you do it.
2: And uh, Bill, if you if you'd like further information or any other questions, give us a call at the office that's well, in Raleigh, you. and that number is eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand.
4: All right. You have a good night.
2: Thank you, Bill. We enjoyed your call. Take care.
1: Interesting call. You know, uh, obviously he's had a change in his situation, Lynn. You can tell because he's only accumulated about one point eight million. And as he said, it wasn't that way four, five years ago, three, four years ago. But right. with an income of a million income. five, uh-huh. then it looks very good if he can hold that income and get it the excess. Built into a portfolio properly, then he will be able to achieve his goals.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. What's new in the area
1: of investment planning?
2: Well, Doug, people um, choosing a financial planner may have made the best decision by working with a financial planner,
1: right? Yeah, I think so, Lynn. the The best investment decision some people ever make is to work with a financial planner because a financial planner, if you think about it, there are really about seven things that the financial planner can do. First of all, a financial planner may help you increase your investment results.
2: And a financial planner takes the time to understand you and to understand your goals.
1: And of course, third, a financial planner can recommend funds that fit your needs, because lots of mutual funds don't.
2: Four, a financial planner may help you
1: decide how to allocate your assets. And a financial planner can analyze how changing conditions affect you. Six,
2: a financial planner can work to deliver information while it's still timely.
1: And seven, a financial planner helps make investing much more convenient. So... Of all the investment decisions a person ever makes, it seems to me the most important one just might be the decision to put a certified financial planner on your side. Now, you talk about how a planner may help you increase your investment results, Linda. You know, the famous Dalbar study, which we've talked about on the air in the past, was a 10 and a half year study of investments made in over 5,000 mutual funds, and it was conducted by the Dalbar services, and they illustrated why it was so important, because investors who used a financial planner outperformed those who didn't by over 17% in their stock funds, and they outperformed by over 21% in their bond funds.
2: And, you know, people may ask why. Well, do-it-yourself investors were more likely to sell on the basis of short-term bad news, and they held their funds an average 2.6 years. But professionally advised investors were more patient. They held their funds an average
1: 3.5 years, so they gained greater
2: opportunities for long-term growth. Right?
1: Right. Holding the hands of the investors through tough times made the crucial difference. Now, we also said that a financial planner will take the time to understand you and your goals. A financial planner makes it
2: their business to learn who you are and where you are with your investment program and where you want to go. And they help you understand... The process. Right. And the vehicles. Right. So from getting to know you, if you know, from this getting to know you process, then your financial planner can offer customized investment strategies for retirement planning, for enhancing your after-tax return opportunities, for planning your parents' financial needs in latter years, and for funding your children's
1: educations. Right? That's exactly right, Lynn.
2: To any of our listeners, if you have a question or if you would like to receive our introductory packet of information, I'll be happy to send it to you. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000.
1: Well, then you know, you probably have spoken to, how many people have you spoken to who have called our offices uh, in the last five years? I
2: would say between, I don't know, maybe... Close to
1: four thousand people, maybe four thousand people that you've spoken to, and uh, every one of them that comes in our office, you have them write down before they meet with me the list of questions that they want to have addressed. Right,
2: right, because most people, you know, that have accumulated generally have things that they've thought about that they
1: wish they could ask somebody. What would you say is the are the the, the most common questions that you see people write down on their list of questions?
2: How much should I have in my emergency fund, or how much should I be saving, or are my investments in the right vehicles, Um, should I sell my house, Uh, should I prepay my mortgage, just, I mean, they're innumerable.
1: Uh Uh-huh. So you think the most common ones are, how much in an emergency fund, and... Um, What does my portfolio look like? What's my overall investment portfolio look like? Right. How about retirement?
2: Uh, yes. How can I plan for retirement? Am I doing the proper, am I in the right direction or am I I am I doing the right things in planning for retirement?
1: Do you have many people that write down questions, will I be able to make it?
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you? That's
2: yeah, they wonder based on what income they have currently, are they going to be able to retire when they want to?
1: Mm-hmm. Are they putting enough aside from their income? Right. Well, that's interesting because understanding you and your goals is the job of the planner. Now, we also said that the planner can recommend different funds and mutual funds offer lots of professional management and diversification and liquidity and all those good things. But how do you choose among the funds that are out there?
2: Well, your financial planner can help you see how well a fund's objectives, uh, their track record and their management style match your specific needs and your goals. So... Usually, when you work with a financial planner, you should be able to receive information on how much volatility the funds managers will assume to achieve your objectives. Right, Doug?
1: Yeah. You also ought to be able to get, if your planner is worth their salt, the fund's performance compared to other funds with similar objectives and how the fund is done not only in up markets but also in down markets. And you should see how the fund's performance is versus its respective investment indices over different time periods. And of course you also want to know what types of stocks or bonds the fund invests in and how those securities can affect, you know, the performance of the fund.
2: And a financial planner can help you decide how to allocate your assets. Owning just one fund isn't always the best strategy. Right. And, you know, we've always said don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. So it's important to diversify your investments among a number of different funds that can reduce your overall risk. Right, Doug?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Things like how many funds you need to own are questions that you have a right to know. Are two funds right? Five funds right? What percentage of your investment dollars should you put in income funds? And how much in stock funds and how much in money market and how much in domestic versus international funds? Well, all of these things are important to get a handle on. And your financial planner, after he learns your objectives and your time horizon and your risk tolerances, can find recommendations that are tailored to your individual needs. And there are a lot of issues in, de- in deciding on mutual funds other than just let's buy a fund. Your planner should inform you when there's a change in the fund's management style. And, and he should also help reallocate your portfolio to meet changing needs.
2: We also stated that your financial planner can help you analyze how changing conditions affect you. Now, financial publications like to show lists of hot funds to buy now, but you know those recommendations do change frequently. So whose list should you believe? Right. Well, With a professional on your side, using an advisor, you can gain an understanding of how changing economic and market conditions affect your particular situation. So when you do make a change in your investment portfolio, there's a logical reason behind it. Right. Which would you prefer? The personalized services of a financial planner who you know and
1: trust? Or generalized information from a journalist which is what the public generally is listening to right. generalized information buy this fund sell this fund from a public And people do
2: get confused and I you know I, as we were talking about all the listeners that have called over the years people really do get confused I had a lady call last week she and her husband were trying to figure out where to put some retirement money and this so-called financial planner came out and sold them some whole life insurance Wow In three years, she's never participated in her company's 401k retirement plan. And instead, bought some whole whole life insurance. So anyway, um, people do definitely need to work with a financial planner
1: if I can help any more, call the office. Our office number is eight seven
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you have a question about your situation, call us on the open line at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-WPTF. And you can join us on the show right now.
1: And you can also go to our website, Doug DougAndLinda.com.
2: I was wondering if maybe we could go over a mutual fund selection checklist that might help our
1: listeners. That's a great idea, Linda. Mutual funds really can be excellent investments for beginning investors and sophisticated investors alike. However, the decision process can take a lot more time than you have to spare, really. So, here's a quality control checklist that can help folks streamline the selection process and make the final mutual fund selection. First, Do the objectives of the mutual fund you're considering meet your personal investment objective?
2: Have you emotionally committed to leaving your money in this investment long-term through the ups and downs in the
1: market cycle? Right? That's right. Is the fund that you're considering part of a family of funds?
2: Have you reviewed the fund's 12-month, 5-year, and 10-year track record?
1: Is the current portfolio manager the same manager who produced the track record that you reviewed?
2: Have you reviewed the costs associated with the fund, management costs, marketing costs, acquisition costs, and liquidation
1: costs? Do you have the privilege of telephone exchanges between mutual funds in the family? Like is there a cost for exchanges or is a specified time frame required to elapse between exchanges? Have you investigated the fund's reputation for investor services? Have you researched whether the fund has grown considerably in size over the last five years? And you really need to consider whether this will affect performance.
2: And is the investment philosophy of the fund the same today as it was five years ago and ten years ago?
1: And last, have you investigated the tax aspects of this fund?
2: That's about 11 questions that people should consider uh, in in looking at the mutual funds that they are selecting,
1: correct? You know, Lynn, so often people go into an excellent fund for the very wrong reasons or they go into the wrong... uh, uh, fund or a bad fund uh, with just too little education not knowing what is a proper checklist to go through the selection of the fund and really working with the help of an advisor i think is crucial especially an advisor that has a checklist to walk down and if you can't go through the individual checklist yourself then you should make sure that your advisor is able to answer all of the questions on these 10 points in the checklist seek competent financial advice and if you have any financial questions Call me at eight seven two seven thousand. That's eight seven two seven thousand.
2: Doug, earlier you you had one of the questions on the checklist uh, had to do with considering uh, a fund that's part of a family of funds. Could you maybe explain that? How how does that work?
1: Yeah, I guess, Lynn. Those of us in the financial and investment world, we have our own jargon, which we assume everybody else in the world knows. A family of mutual funds is a common term, you know. A mutual fund itself, Linda, is a pool of investments. It's not one investment. It's a giant pool, maybe of 100 stocks or 100 bonds or uh, a mixture of stocks and bonds. And this pool is managed by a man or a woman That's a mutual fund manager who is sort of like a stockbroker. He's buying and selling, buying and selling out of the fund. And you put your money into the pool and you've got a little piece of all of them. So you've diversified your investments and safeguarded yourself by having a small amount of money blended in with a whole bunch of other people in a larger pool. Now that's a mutual fund, of course, which we all know. A family of mutual funds is a company that sponsors more than one mutual fund. It's one company that might have a mutual fund of stocks for those investors that want to be playing the stock market but want to be a little more conservative than doing it themselves, so they would go into a stock mutual fund. And then there might be another mutual fund that is just for conservative investors that want to be in Ginny Mays, and that mutual fund has a whole bunch of Ginny Mays, which are Government National Mortgage Association bond pools. And then another mutual fund might be a mutual fund which is just a portfolio of international stocks for those people that want to have money in the international arena, and they want a manager who is buying and selling international stocks for them. And then there might be another mutual fund which has just government bonds in it, and again, they want a manager who will decide when to sell a low-yielding government bond and buy a higher-yielding government bond, etc., and have their money in a pool with a bunch of other people but all of their money being invested in government bonds. Well, each of these mutual funds can be under one giant family head or family heading so that actually there are different mutual funds for different types of people's objectives. And one way of selecting mutual funds is just trying to pick the best mutual fund track record that meets what attracts you. The danger in that very often is especially if it's a fund that has a load, that's another term for commission going in, that if you don't like the performance of that fund after a few years and you want to move the money from that fund over to another mutual fund, if it's not part of a family, that is of a fund group, then you will have to pay a second commission going into the next one. Whereas typically the mutual fund families allow you to move From one of their mutual funds, let's say their European stock fund. You can do exchanges with. the Yes, we call that exchanges from one mutual fund to the other, to the other, to the other. And those are almost always commission-free with no charges. And those are very attractive benefits that the families of mutual funds offer. I do confess that I prefer the family of fund approach.
2: So people should look into this or check into this and when they deal with their financial planner?
1: I think looking at the consistency of the family, actually, Linda, is far more important than looking at the consistency of a fund manager. Very often, we are looking at a track record of a manager who is no longer there. He's been moved to another mutual fund in that family.
2: What are some of the major types, the five major types of mutual funds that most people look at?
1: Well, Linda, it's really hard to go ahead and encompass the whole world of mutual funds in one quick breath, but we could make a quick broad stroke and say that there are aggressive growth funds, and then there are growth funds, and then there are growth and income funds, and there are income funds and there are sector funds. And that would be one way to look at them. They subcategorize into about 30 or 40 subcategories, but those five broad categories, aggressive growth funds, growth funds, growth and income funds, income funds, and sector funds are the five broad types. What about government funds? Government funds, Linda, are one of the, they would fall under the category of income funds. You see, income funds can be either investing in high-yielding stocks or bonds, and government funds are investing in government bonds, and the aim is to achieve high current income with maximum safety of principal. Okay. Thank you. You're sure welcome.
2: If you'd like some further information, I'll be happy to send you some. If you'll call the office at eight seven two seven thousand. 7000 And then we can give you some more detailed assistance. Then we're going to take a caller right now.
1: Go ahead, Jerry. How can I help you? Doug Lewis.
4: Yes, thank you. Uh, uh, My daughter uh, blessed me with my uh, first grandchild six months ago.
1: Mazotas. Thank you. (laughs) That's congratulations. Yes.
4: Um, and uh, consequently i'm uh, thinking of uh, of my will uh-huh. with regard to a will and uh, I was wondering uh, are lawyers sufficiently uh, conversant with the matters that uh, you engage in to uh, be trusted, or should I see a financial Planner first.
1: That's a very good question. I'm glad that somebody finally asked that. No, they are not. We are not what they call a board certified state. Some states, they're board certified where they have to declare what they're specialist in. But no, attorneys are not versed in these. Some are and some aren't. You should be working with a certified financial planner who can work in tandem with the attorney, even help find the attorney so he can set up the strategy and the attorney can do the legal work. That's a very good question, Jerry.
4: Uh, general reference to assets, property, and such in a will is not sufficient from in your opinion. General reference? You
1: mean for an attorney to know?
4: Uh, well, merely to refer in, in the matter of disposing of one's estate.
1: Uh, you want to go through the numbers. I see. In other words, it's got to be numerically worked out, and that's where the attorney generally is not going to have that or whatever. Jerry, if you will call me at my office, I'd love to talk this more with you because this is a very touchy matter, and I and it's one that's very dear to my heart because people get messed up real bad in this area. My number is eight seven two seven thousand. You're right. Uh, gifting strategies and working with a proper attorney are crucial. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Jerry. Bye bye. Bye bye. Now, thank you for listening.
2: What is new in the area of financial planning? Well,
1: what is social capital? Social capital is the key to controlling all of your wealth. For many people, establishing a charitable remainder trust has led to the discovery of this powerful concept called social capital. You see, social capital is that part of our wealth that we cannot keep. For example, as you think about your wealth, you can see it consists of two parts. First, there is your personal financial capital. This is the wealth you spend and give to your heirs. It's wealth that you keep. So what's left? The second part, the wealth you can't keep, can't spend, and can't give to your heirs. This wealth we call social capital because it is destined by law to go to social uses beyond you and your family, to support education, defense, social services, and a host of other needs common to us all. Typically, we give up our social capital in the form of taxes and let it go at that, but when we do, we also give up control of that wealth. A glance at the federal budget tells us instantly that we have very little understanding of where our wealth goes and virtually no control at all over how it is used. Is there an alternative? Yes. Some way we can part with our social capital without giving up control of its use? Yes. That way is to establish a charitable remainder trust. As used by more and more clients these days, a charitable remainder trust turns what would have been tax dollars spent at the government's discretion into charitable gifts made to specific organizations that you choose. You have the same choice that many have today. You can set up a charitable remainder 664 trust and learn how you can gain control to all of your wealth. Seek competent financial advice, and if you have any financial questions... Call me at 872 7000. That's 872 Don't forget, gain control of your social capital by learning how to use the Charitable Remainder Trust. And remember, your financial future is at stake.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis's on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com. So financial planning is tax planning, investment planning, cash flow planning, insurance planning, college planning, estate planning, and retirement planning. What's new, Linda, in the area of investment planning?
2: Well, Doug, a lot of listeners have been calling with questions about tax-free bonds, um, municipal bonds. And I was wondering, what do you think is the best way to buy these bonds? Exactly what are these muni bonds?
1: That's a great question, Linda. Uh, Really, we need to understand a tax-free bond is, it's an IOU. It's an IOU between you and a municipality. We call them munis or municipal bonds. It's a loan that you're making. If you buy a $10,000 municipal bond from the state of North Carolina, you're actually lending money to the state of North Carolina. And that's a tax-free municipal bond, a North Carolina muni. It's a guaranteed IOU, and let's say it's $10,000. That means that you have loaned North Carolina $10,000, and they've given you back a piece of paper, which is an IOU, just like a CD is at the bank, and it says that they guarantee to pay you back your $10,000 at a certain time. Right. That's the maturity date. They guarantee to pay you back. It's an IOU. It's guaranteed to pay back by the the state of North Carolina to you. And along the way, they will pay you interest for loaning them the money. And like you said, maybe it's 4%, 5% or whatever. And because it's lent to the state of North Carolina, it's tax-free interest income. that You don't have to report the interest they're paying you. Okay, now that's one way. That's a tax-free municipal bond. Another way to buy tax-free bonds are through mutual funds of tax-free bonds. And a third way is through unit investment trusts. Unit investment trust of tax-free bonds. So we have these three ways. You can buy one bond or you can buy into a whole pool of them. A unit investment trust of tax-free bonds or a mutual fund of tax-free bonds.
2: Well, what is it when when a person buys through a
1: unit investment trust? They are fixed portfolios of investments. They're a pool of them. It's a whole bunch of them packaged into one pool, and you buy an interest in that pool for maybe $1,000 interest. So instead of, uh, if you want to invest $10,000, you buy $10,000 in a pool which might have a million dollars of municipal bonds of tax-free bonds and then you go ahead and the bonds are supposed to be held until the trust expires
2: so what happens while you're waiting um do you get the interest
1: back yeah as a matter of fact while you're waiting you get a pro rata share of the interest in all of the bonds in the entire pool now if any of the bonds in the trust are sold you also get a pro rata share of that principal and then the remaining principal is distributed to you when the trust matures. So can you redeem your your shares early? Yes, you can. You can go ahead just like in a mutual fund, you can sell your shares and come out of it early, but depending on the market conditions, you might get back more or less than you paid for it. I guess
2: the larger question is should a person buy a unit trusts when I mean is there any other vehicle that's more suitable than well, buying a unit you know.
1: Yeah, the real question that I have, the larger question, is why do you buy a unit investment trust at all when you can buy a tax-exempt mutual fund or a municipal bond mutual fund? Because, you see, unit investment trusts claim that they outperform mutual funds, but who knows? Most trusts don't publish their data daily in the newspapers like a mutual fund. And then the unit investment trust will generally charge sales loads of anywhere between 3 and 5%, and that's fine. But the problem is that we don't know enough about them to really be able to track them and if you can get a pool of mutual a pool of tax free bonds in a mutual fund as opposed to a pool of municipal bonds in a unit trust then the real question is why should we go ahead and get them there are a couple of other things i dislike you can only get your dividends twice a year as opposed to on a monthly basis yes, right some of them do let you pay monthly but as opposed to you cannot reinvest your dividend, and go back in if you don't want it, like you can in a mutual fund, so it can't compound for the future. So you're getting that little $25 or $50 check. The other thing is, the principal is being paid out to you, and they'll reach a day when you get your last check, and it's all over, and you say, where's my money? And you don't realize you've been spending your principal along the way.
2: Right, you've been getting a bigger payout, but you've also been shrinking the principal, so... But I do
1: like the unit investment trust better than the individual municipal bonds. Because of diversification, it's safer.
2: Well, what do you say sometimes? eat Don't eat your chickens, eat the, the eggs? Yeah, don't kill your chickens, <laughs> uh, eat yeah, the right. eggs. If you would like to call the office at eight seven 7000 I'll be happy to send information regarding this. Well, Doug, let's take a call.
1: Barry, Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
4: Well, I just had a question about the philosophy of inclusive wrap fee funds versus more standardized mutual funds and what your position as a financial planner is on one versus the other.
1: Well, uh, and it's an interesting question. Generally, I won't take a philosophical call. But- Different professionals do it a different way. The thing that I feel is most important is that you find a financial planner who is doing financial planning. If you're just working with the world of investments and leaving out your estate issues, your income tax issues, your cash flow issues, your retirement issues, all of the other areas that a financial planner is trained to be working on, then you're really only running on two cylinders and you're cheating yourself and you shouldn't be dealing with a financial planner. And if you approach it that way, at least dealing with a real planner, you generally get more service and a more professional approach for less money than what you're going to get on a wrap fee arrangement at one of the brokerage firms. I know our fees are lower than the wrap fees that the brokerage firms charge, and we do the entire thing, the tax planning, the estate planning, the trust, the wills, the retirement planning, and everything. But it's a nice, easy way to make money with the RAP fees. There's no doubt about it. You don't have to do a thing. You just go ahead and the money just comes to you, and and we see people that are doing that. I philosophically don't approve of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what I was asking.
2: Yeah, and people sometimes want a more comprehensive service, and that's what a planner that does it traditionally, the way that Doug does it, can find. Okay.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for calling, Barry. You
2: You know, Doug, the uh, bottom line is that um, people need to, Find out what their money's doing for them, right? I mean, well, get more money, for your money. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, that's true. That's true. But I really think it's a service. It's value-added service. It's If you're going to a surgeon, then you ought to know that you're going to a surgeon and not, not find one type of doctor versus another type of doctor. If you're going for a financial planner and for financial planning, you should be getting financial planning, not just money management.
2: If you would like some more information on this, I'll be happy to either send you some information or discuss it with you further. And you can call me at the office, and the number is eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA 7000. And I'll be happy to do what I can to answer your questions.
1: And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougandLinda.com.
3: There was an article this week uh, about kids, speaking of kids, Linda, that uh, ready or not, your kids own the money. And it was speaking to uh, the point that many parents have set up custodial accounts and at a set age, usually 18 or 21, I think it's 21 in North Carolina, but young adults get control.
1: This actually was one of the questions that the couple I met with this past week because a lot of times grandparents... Like to set up accounts for their grandchildren, and so right away the question comes into into focus when we're doing financial planning. What kind of account? Uh, what kind of account can we use? You know, parents and grandparents have a lot to think about as their children approach adulthood. Will they go to college? Will they graduate? But there's one other thing. How are they going to handle
3: these UGMA or UTMA accounts? And a UGMA, that's a uniform gift to minors account or a uniform transfer to minor account. Uh, under terms of a state's Uniform Gift to Minors Act or Uniform Transfer to Minors Act, a custodian controls these accounts while the child is a minor.
1: But the account, the account itself is considered an irrevocable gift to that child who should get control of all the cash and the investments in that account once he or she reaches a certain age. If it's a UGMA account, it's age 18. That's uniform gift to minors account. If it's a UTMA account, that's a uniform transfer to minors account. That's age 21. And depending on the state, but the child receives it as an irrevocable gift. So, Doug, um,
2: once the child the, the uh, child does get uh, receive it as an irrevocable irre, uh, gift, and once the child gains control of the money, though he or she may have an entirely different idea of how he should spend it.
1: Or even just how it should be invested. That's exactly right. And unfortunately, many a time these accounts have grown to be $100,000, $200,000 or more. And did you really expect that 18-year-old or that 21-year-old to use that, you know, that $100,000, $200,000 for college when maybe they think they would like to take a trip to Europe? Or maybe they're going to be the next Beatles band and so <laughs> forth.
4: <laughs> I
1: mean, you know, these things happen. And so the question comes up, and it did come up last week. What's the best way to do it? And not give that huge temptation to the child. Well, we, of course, we do have UGMA accounts. That's one way. But that has the problem. And then the UTMA accounts, that moves the problem a couple years down the road. Still two Young, in my opinion, and many clients don't really, don't want to do it that way. There's another way to do it. and um that, that? Well, that's what we did with them. We decided, all right, why don't we go ahead and set up the account for the grandkids, but keep it in the name of the grandparents.
3: I see. So it's earmarked for education costs, but, but legally, legally, we haven't lost control. That's
1: right. It's not an irrevocable gift. Legally, it's in the name of of the grandparents. But now there was another objective that the grandparents, clients who came to see us, wanted to handle. And that was, is there a way that the parents could be reminded on a regular basis to contribute to their children's educational account, even though it was owned by the grandparents? And yes, we did. We set it up to where they can do an automatic, we call it a pay yourself first, but an automatic pay yourself first of $100 a month or $200 a month. Right. Into their children's account, which is owned by the grandparents. And that solves the whole problem. If times change and it gets to be a huge amount and the grandchildren don't uh, look like they are destined to use it the proper way or the way that they well, hoped don't it, need it to
3: go, don't need it to Don't need it to. Let's, let's say there's the other side. They get a huge scholarship. Everything's paid exactly. for. And it, it instead has been uh, used wisely for the family in other ways, whether it's the parents or the uh, grandparents keep it for retirement needs.
1: So that was it. That was the issue. And I think uh, it doesn't go away. We find more and more of our clients that are interested in setting up accounts for their grandchildren to go ahead and take care of college needs. Well, Linda, you were going through questions that you had found in the financial presses this week that might be of interest. Did we finish all of them or is there Well, in- I
2: think there was one other one. Doug. Go ahead. And it has to it with to inherited with IRA. inherited traditional IRA. Um, uh, a writer said that a inherited a traditional IRA from a father. Can I roll it into a Roth IRA?
1: Now, this is very interesting. The first answer I'm going to tell you is no, you cannot do that. Non-spouse beneficiaries. So you can always, every married couple can let his surviving spouse roll 100% tax-free the IRA into the surviving spouse's IRA. But if there is no spouse, then it goes to a child or another beneficiary. Now, a non-spouse beneficiary can only roll a traditional IRA to something called an inherited beneficiary, an inherited IRA. Sometimes we call them stretch IRAs or beneficiary IRAs, but these are inherited IRAs. The ownership of the inherited IRA, however, must be worded correctly. It's not a tax-free move, by the way, but it must be worded correctly so that the father's name in this case is still on the account maybe like John Smith Sr. for the benefit of John Smith Jr. And then you can go ahead and not have to pay the entire tax, which you normally would. So if it was a million dollar IRA and the son inherited it, it'd be like paying tax on a million dollar salary bonus that year.
3: Right, because when you're the non-spouse recipient, uh, what it, unless you are unaware of it, if you receive a very large, the proceeds of a very large IRA from a parent, that means you are now going to have an income that is going to be taxable on your income. So so you're receiving untaxed dollars, which means now all of a sudden, let's say you made 50000 and you inherit a $100,000 IRA from your father. You now have taxable income of 150000 and you better, you know, so your first thought is, well, how do I limit that?
1: if indeed you don't need it, then there's a big uh, issue you're facing. You're exactly right, (laughs) Deborah. And the way to do it is this uh, inherited IRA strategy, or stretch IRA, or beneficiary IRA, that is the strategy.
3: And we found that it gets even more complex, because even though the the IRS may have certain rules, the custodian will have different rules, and where you inherited from will have a third set of rules. So, working with a certified financial planner can save you a lot of angst later.
1: I think you have, uh, you've done a good promo for us. All right. <laughs> so,
3: call us at Lewis Financial Management during the week, 919-872-7000, Uh, See our website, DougAndLinda.com. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio
2: 680 WPTF.
1: And don't forget to go to our website, DougAndLinda.com, DougAndLinda.com. You can see a video of us and you can hear radio clips, find out more about how we treat clients in our office. And we also give away a free copy of the book, Middle Class Millionaire, to those who come to the office for appointments as the couple last week received their free copy.
3: Thank you for joining us for another edition of Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. You can listen to our podcast online at WPTF.com. Join us next Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. on WPTF. Call us to set your appointment this week. 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
0: Been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919 872 7000. That's 919 USA 7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 W P. ETF.